Most weddings, I think, begin with high hopes. To be sure, some marriages, I suppose, take place uh, for, for the wrong reason. But I got to tell you, in all my years of ministry and doing weddings, you know, the vast majority, I've never had one that's, that started that way. Everybody started with great anticipation. Um, it's sort of like leaving on a vacation, this, this whole business of marrying. Uh, let, let's say you, you've decided you're going to leave the state of Indiana. You're going to drive your family on a vacation to California. And you're going to see Yosemite, and you're going to see the giant sequoia, you're going to see the Pacific Ocean, and man, every, you, you plan for months getting ready for this vacation trip. You get everything all lined out. Your family is excited. They've never been on a trip quite like this. And so you get up early on the day of departure. Everybody's in good mood. You pack the trunk. You can hardly get the lid closed because it's so tight, crammed in with everything you're going to need for the trip. And people are smiling and laughing. You may even sing as you start out on the journey down the road. It is a great day. But about 500 miles into the journey, there is a different mood that sweeps through the old sedan. Everyone starts getting a bit cranky. The air conditioner isn't keeping up with the heat. It's been 10 hours since you've left home, and, and you haven't eaten since that fast food burger at noon that you gulped down in the car. And you can't find a room in the locality where you were going to stay that night because there's a Shriners convention, and they've taken up all the rooms for 100 miles around. Add to that fact that you're in Kansas now and nothing but wheat and corn as far as the eye can see, and you've got serious doubts about this trip. You're hot, you're tired, you're hungry, and you're bored, and then you realize you still have 1,700 miles to go to get to Yosemite. Now, marriage can be like that if we aren't careful. The wedding is so exciting. The bride and groom just can't get wait. They've been planning for months. and They're excited on that day. But about 500 miles into this journey, they realize not everything is exactly what they thought it was going to be. Do you know he's a slob? I didn't know he was a slob. I like things neat and picked up. He's a slob. I thought she was a night owl. Comes to find out she's a morning person. She's not a night owl. She's a morning person. I, I thought she, oh, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> what were in those vows again? What did I sign up for? I guess I didn't read the fine print in that wedding license that I signed. I've often wondered how it might change our expectation if the wedding vows communicated what the groom and the bride were really thinking on that day or what they were thinking 500 miles into the journey. What if the wedding vows sounded something like this? Dearly beloved, we are gathered here this morning to join Josh and Hannah in the holy state of matrimony. Marriage is a beautiful bond. It is the union between two people who have been filing their taxes separately but will now be filing as one. <laughs> to symbolize the special union that you will experience, you'll exchange rings. The wedding ring is an infinite circle that symbolizes the never-ending cycle of problems, challenges, heartbreaks, and difficulties that lie ahead for both of you. Do you have those rings with you this morning? We do. Thank you. Now, would you turn and face each other? Josh, will you place that ring on Hannah's finger and repeat after me these important vows? I, Josh, take you, Hannah. I, Josh, take you, Hannah. To be my lawfully wedded starter wife. To be my lawfully wedded starter wife. 
For better and even better. For better and even better. For richer as we go into debt. For richer as we go into debt. So long as you are attractive. So long as you are attractive. I promise to yell at you. I promise to yell at you. To ignore and neglect you. To ignore and neglect you. And to compare you to other people I know. And to compare you to other people I know. From this day forward. From this day forward. I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to be faithful to you. Until I find someone I like better. Until I find someone I like better. <laughs> Till divorce do us part. Till divorce do us part. And Hannah, you place that ring on Josh's finger and repeat after me. I, Hannah, take you, Josh. I, Hannah, take you, Josh. To be my lawfully wedded starter husband. To be my lawfully wedded starter husband. In good health only. In good health only. Both physical and mental. Both physical and mental. To love and to cherish. To love and to cherish. As we try this out for a while. As we try this out for a while. To join with you. To join with you. As long as I can always get my way. As long as I can always get my way. And to make fun of you in front of my friends. And to make fun of you in front of my friends. I promise to be faithful to you. I promise to be faithful to you. As long as you make a ton of money. As long as you make a ton of money. I will respect you. I will respect you. At least some of the time. At least some of the time. Till divorce do us part. Till divorce do us part. Josh and Hannah, you have made this commitment hoping that you would be one of the lucky couples that would make this thing stick and work. We admire you for that, but I got to tell you, the odds are against you. You only have a 50-50 <laughs> chance at making this happen. Because of the promise that you have made to each other today, I now pronounce you as husband and wife. Shake hands and come out fighting. <laughs> Now, you need to know that Josh and Hannah are actually a beautiful couple together. Um, Josh is one of our media staff here and does a, f a fabulous job along with the rest of our media team. And I had the privilege of, of actually marrying them about nearly 15 months ago. And uh, they are committed to each other. They are committed to the Lord, and uh, they're doing a great job. I uh, appreciate them doing that uh, the, the, this morning. And I will tell you this, when they got married, we did the right vows. <laughs> Do you remember them? To have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, so long as we both shall live. To you I pledge my everlasting love. That's the foundation upon which a Marriage for the long haul is built. <laughs> Read of one groom who, when the minister was going through the vow, for richer or for poorer, said, I'll take richer. <laughs> this is not multiple choice. It doesn't work this way. I want to draw your attention to a few passages in the Bible regarding marriage. And you say, oh, do we have to go to Scripture? I mean, after all, that is so antiquated. How can it speak to marriage in the 21st century? Oh, but I think it can. In his earthly ministry, Jesus elevated the sacred role of marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, the apostle Paul describes marriage as more than a mere union between a man and a woman. It is an expression of worship, a portrait of Christ's love and sacrifice for his bride, the church. 
Marriage then was a spiritual and is a spiritual covenant between a man and a woman encouraged and blessed by the church. And while there seems to be a lot of historical vagueness on the subject, it seems that somewhere around the 16th century, about the time of the Protestant Reformation, record-keeping of marriages passed from the church into the hands of, of government. But then you've got to understand, too, at that time, government was seen as an extension of God's authority, agents of God's authority, if you please. But today, all that has kind of changed, and, and really today, it's kind of a strange, strange arrangement. I have to be recognized by the state to sign a license issued by the state to validate a practice that is rooted in our faith in God and His Word. Consequently, I can give you no better authority than for what we find in the words of the one who created marriage at the very beginning. His wisdom will make it work for the long haul. Marriage is, is sort of like getting ready for a vacation trip. We've talked about taking a vacation. Well, there's a lot of comparisons. It takes a lot of work and effort to get ready. Brides and grooms plan for, for months, sometimes even years. But one of the common fallacies is that to be a good husband or wife, we don't need much planning or practice. I mean, I know that if I'm going to be a good athlete, I need to practice hours and hours and hours to get a lot of training. I know that if I'm going to be a good musician, I have to practice for hours upon hours and have a good instructor. I know that if I'm going to be good at my job, I have to have a degree and I have to get educated to specifics about this job so I can do it right. But when it comes to marriage, we think, put us men in a tux and we become super husbands. Put a bride in a, in a wedding gown and she becomes super wife. Why, why do we think that? Nothing could be farther from the truth. This is, this is serious business. It's hard work and it takes a lot of planning and practice. Two negatives don't make a positive. Neither do two imperfect people make a perfect marriage. You can make it a good marriage, though, if you practice it. It takes time, energy, patience, forgiveness, and hard work to create a lasting marriage for the long haul anything less won't bring success. Now, if you view marriage like that, a long journey that takes time, effort, energy, and planning, then what do you need to pack? What do you pack for that kind of a trip? Well, let me suggest that you, you, you take a, a map with you. Uh, there's just an atlas over here. Sometimes I throw an atlas in the car. Most of the time, it's just the uh, folded up AAA uh, maps that I keep in the pocket of the door just to keep handy. Uh, a couple of years ago, Elsie and I vacationed up in uh, the northern part of Michigan, and uh, we'd gone over to Mackinac Island. Then the, the day after that, why we wanted to go up into the Upper Peninsula. We'd never been up there, and so we set the GPS, crossed over the bridge, drove all the way up to the North Shore to the uh, um, shipwreck, National Shipwreck Museum, where there's the story of the Edmunds Fitzgerald and the bell that's been recovered from that ore ship that went down uh, in the Great Lakes. And then from there, we went to Toquamanon Falls and saw the, uh, the water that looks like iced tea going over the falls because of all the tannic acid uh, in, in the water and stuff. And, and we just had a wonderful day, but it's starting to get late in the day, and so we decided we're going to head back to the uh, lower peninsula, the, uh, the main part of the state of, of Michigan. And if you've ever been in the, in the upper peninsula, you get in that area, and, and the pine trees are tall, and, and they're usually right up against the roads, and it's starting to get dusk now. And, and the GPS keeps guiding us down these 
lesser and lesser blacktop roads. And finally, the GPS says, turn left in 100 feet. We got 100 feet, and it's a dirt road. And I thought, I've missed the road. So we drove on a little farther, and it says, turn around and go back. You've missed the, you've missed the turn. We came back, and sure enough, it directed me down this dirt road. Now, it is dusk in the Upper Peninsula. It is out in the middle of nowhere, and the GPS is telling me to turn down a dirt road. I look at Elsie, and she looks at me, and I'm not going down a dirt road. Freddy Krueger, uh, Hannibal Lecter's just down that road. I know it. And so I turn off the GPS, and, and, and I grab the Michigan map out of the pocket and just follow the map, and it gets us all the way back home. It's a happy ending. Now, now here's the point. The GPS is a lot newer, and we think a lot more reliable, but sometimes it isn't. And there are a lot of new books, there's a lot of new counseling, there's a lot of new wisdom. You can talk to your best friends, you can talk to other people, and, and you can get all manner of advice about marriage. But I'm telling you this morning, you can justify just about anything you want to do. You can find it in print or you can find it in somebody's advice column, and it may not be what's right for you. So turn off the new stuff and get back to that which has been tested over the long haul. Pull out the map. The one written by the God who created marriage in the beginning. He knows us best. He ought to know what makes marriage best. Follow his path. Stay on the main route, and you'll have the best chance at a happy ending, especially when it seems like it's dusk and it's scary. Trust him. He'll get you through. Well, not only do you want to pack maps, but you want, you want to take along some, some luggage. I... I bought this, this Samsonite suitcase with money I got from my high school graduation. That's how long I've had that thing. And it, it's been beaten up and thrown around and tossed. I don't have the key for the lock anymore. I don't know whatever happened. It, it just won't break. It's a great piece of luggage. And I don't use it much anymore because it's kind of bulky and, and, uh, and heavier than, than some of the newer stuff. But Man, has it lasted through the long haul. Now, that's the kind of luggage you want to have to get through a marriage, is this kind of luggage that lasts for the long haul. Now, now you also notice in, in this too, there's not a lot of room in there. So if I'm going to take a trip, I've got I to gotta prepare to take only what I can fit in the suitcase. You know, I can't pack everything, you know. Uh, I can only take what is necessary for the trip. Now, pack your luggage carefully. Don't bring your baggage to a marriage. Okay, baggage is everything you've got. Baggage is not necessarily good. Baggage gets real heavy. And the more baggage you bring, the heavier it gets. I read this newspaper ad. It said, for sale by owner, complete set of Encyclopedia Britannica, 45 volumes, excellent condition, $1,000 or best offer. No longer needed, got married last month, husband knows everything. You can tell right there, there's a lot of baggage being drug into that marriage. Baggage is the stuff that you bring with you that isn't necessary for your marriage, but that you want it to be in your marriage. Let me give you some examples. Here's baggage, how you handle your money, how you celebrate holidays, the expectation of your family imposed upon your new spouse, your inability to be flexible with the little things like the toothpaste tubes and the toilet paper rolls. May I, may I make some suggestions to you this morning? When you marry, it is no longer my money and your money, it's our money. Your personal checking and savings accounts should be joint checking and savings accounts. Automobiles should be titled in both names. And, and don't make big expenditures without talking it over. And by a big expenditure, I'm talking about $50 or more. 
You know, because that could break the budget. And speaking of budgets, you need to have a budget. You need to sit down and figure that out, and you need to live by that budget. And figure out who of the two of you is best at handling money, and let that person pay the bills and track the expenses. Work hard at staying out of debt. Financial misery is a common cause of marital strife and divorce. And it's so unnecessary if you don't bring your own personal baggage into the marriage and work out together what works best for you as a couple. And don't let in-law problems put a barrier between you and your spouse. Sometimes for all of parents' best intentions, they can interfere. I know that most parents don't mean to do that, but sometimes they do. And, and if there's a barrier between your spouse and your parents, don't expect them to work it out. You step in and help negotiate. Don't leave your spouse hanging out there, okay? You, you're defending one another. You're trying to make this thing work. Holidays for all the joy uh, that they bring can also be stressful events. So work at creating your own traditions together. One of the best decisions I think Elsie and I ever made with regard to the Christmas holiday was to stop traveling on Christmas. Um, we have wonderful memories of the times that we would go to her folks uh, on Christmas morning or, or, or my folks on Christmas morning. We love those memories. But as the girls got a little bit older and, and as we continued to grow in our Christmas Eve services here, you know, to after the Christmas Eve service, we'd pack the car, we'd get in, we'd drive so we'd be someplace by Christmas morning. We were exhausted. And we finally decided, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We'll see both family over the holidays. We'll, we'll have Christmas with our family somehow, some way, but we're not traveling anymore on Christmas. Boy, it was a wonderful decision, and we began to build our own tradition. Now our daughters are married, and they're beginning to build their own holiday traditions, and it's just a part of life and the transitions. Don't bring your baggage into the marriage, and don't let the little things become kindling for big fires in the marriage. So what if she squeezes the toothpaste tube differently than you do? You do things to irritate her as well. You see, it's that give and take and learning what matters and what doesn't matter. And in the early days, it's hard to learn that. That's where the patience and the practice and the hard work comes in. If you give up too soon, you'll throw in the towel. Don't bring your baggage. Pack only what you're going to need for the trip. So what kind of clothes and cosmetics are you going to take for the trip? Okay, can't pack everything. You don't want to bring the baggage. So what do we put in our suitcases? Well, let me, let me take you to Colossians chapter 3, because the Apostle Paul uses clothing as an analogy, and I think it's a really beautiful analogy. And he begins with, and now remember, this wasn't written for a wedding, but it was written to the bride of Christ, the church, and what works for the bride of Christ ought to work in our own personal marriages as well. This is how he begins in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Doesn't that sound like a wedding? Dearly beloved, into this holy state of matrimony. Okay, then he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful." Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul, first of all, reminds us what to wear for a marriage. Not for the wedding, 
but for the marriage. At the, at the wedding, everybody looks their best. The bride and the groom look incredible. She adores her dress. He despises his tux. She cherishes the day. He tolerates the day. But it's that special day that there will never be another day like that. They will never quite look like that again. But the wedding is just it's the moment it begins. It's when you slam the trunk lid and get in the car to start the journey. What you need are the work clothes of everyday marriage. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's how to treat a spouse. Have you ever thought how much better our marriages and our lives would be if we all embraced those virtues? I wish I could stand here and say to you this morning, I have practiced all five of those consistently in my marriage. I haven't. Like you, I'm, I'm a fallible human being. I sin. I, I get frustrated. I, I, I don't think. I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes insensitive. And, and and all of us are in our marriages like that. It ta- that's why it takes work to achieve what God has set out for us. But if we'll work toward wearing those work clothes, wow, what a difference it will make. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Add to that, these words of Paul are also important. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Learn quickly in your marriage to forgive each other's faults and failures and work at complementing each other's weaknesses. Together you make a team. Moses wrote, you know, that a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. Now, you don't lose your individuality, but neither are you simply an individual after you get married. God has made you and your spouse one. Generations later, when Jesus was being attacked about marriage and divorce, he quoted this passage, and then he added this in Matthew 19, 6. He said, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The word separate means ripped apart. You glue two things together and then you break it apart, you're inevitably going to have something of both pieces stuck to the other side. And ripping it apart is painful. Worse yet is to ignore the one who is a part of your oneness. The greatest damage to our marriages is just becoming indifferent. Preacher Jim Bergen wrote, he said, the greatest danger to your marriage is not an affair, addiction, or mistake. The greatest danger is isolation, indifference, and independence from one another, the destruction of one. Then Paul says, like a wool top coat over our clothes in the wintertime, put on love, which binds all these virtues together in perfect unity. You've seen a wagon wheel, haven't you? Wagon hill has, wheel has a, a wooden hub in the middle, and then it has all these spokes coming out. And then it has a wooden band that goes around the outside that keeps the spokes evenly separated. That's called the fellow. And then around the fellow is, is this steel band that holds it all together. Love is the steel band on the wagon wheel. And I'm here to tell you, wagon wheels were built for the long haul. But without the steel band, they would have fallen apart very quickly. 
And so it is that steel band that puts them, holds them, impresses them together. And it is love that will keep us together. This passage gives us a good start toward the goal. It reminds us that we need to be ruled by the peace of Christ, to be filled with the thanksgiving of Christ, to be guided by the wisdom of Christ through his word. All of that Paul wrote in here. And if you'll do that, it will help you get started down the right path. You do that and your marriage will have a better chance of having a happy ending and lasting for the long haul. You see, from the very beginning, God has likened his love for his church, for us, as that of a groom for his bride. He wants you to live this life together in him. Every wedding ceremony I've conducted, I've tried to remind remind the bride and groom that in a Christian ceremony, you don't have just two partners in this, you have three partners, you, your spouse, and the Lord. In, in geometry, a triangle is the most stable of all geometric figures. It is true in relationships as well. When you build your love in this triangle with God included, it will give you a stability that will help you through. Psalm 127.1 says, unless the Lord builds the house, it's builders labor in vain. God will help you build the house. Only God can build a strong marriage. So pack, pack your luggage well. Leave the baggage somewhere else. Matter of fact, get rid of the baggage. Take it to the dump. Pack your luggage with only what you'll need for the trip. And, and then here's some, something else. Whenever we're taking a road trip, we always, we always take a cooler. I don't know if you all take a cooler or not. That is a great invention, a cooler. And to make it wonderful, all you have to do is add ice. And, and that just, that takes care of everything. The food, you know, the, you know what, uh, bottles of water, you, you take care of it. Add ice and a cooler is wonderful. There are times in a marriage when you just need a cooler, Okay. When tempers flare and you get hot under the collar, just add some ice and cool it down. Most arguments aren't worth it. Most arguments aren't productive. Don't hold grudges against your spouse. Life is too short. Don't offer the silent treatment. That destroys your ability to communicate. And when you do communicate, control what you say. You seldom have to apologize for something you didn't say. Being angry takes its toll on a marriage Sometimes you just have to cool it. Don't go to bed mad at each other. That's biblical, you know. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 says, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. I'm here to remind you this morning that the angrier you are in your marriage, the more the devil will be able to rip it apart. The more you will be indifferent about your spouse. So pack your cooler well. Keep it well supplied with ice. Something else that you always, or you should pack if you're going to take a trip is, is an emergency kit. Um, first aid, lights, flares, umbrella, a trustworthy spare tire. All those things are, are for the unexpected. When you go on a vacation, you hope you're never going to have to use an umbrella, but you better have one just in case. I wish that the Bible promised that when we do everything right in a marriage the way we should, that nothing bad was ever going to happen in a marriage. But that's simply not the case. We live in a broken world, and bad things happen to good people. The rain will fall, and sometimes it's more than a rain. Sometimes it's a storm. It's a toad strangler. And sometimes you don't think your marriage has a chance of surviving. Life isn't fair. We're good at putting up fronts. How you doing? Oh, life is good. That's probably not true. 
We ought not to say that. We ought to say, life is hard, but God is good. And with God's help, we're going to get through this. Let me encourage you not to marry anyone who does not share your faith and who's not as committed to God as you are. I'm not saying your marriage will dissolve if that's not the case, but it will surely make it harder to survive during the tough times if you don't have that faith in common. If you did marry somebody that doesn't share your faith, you stay with them. And through your prayers, your compassion, your patience, your kindness, and your love, maybe they will see Christ in you and come to that same conclusion. Commitment to God is the best gift that you can bring to your spouse in marriage. So what's in your emergency kit? May I suggest that you add prayer. When you pray together, it pulls you together. And may I suggest to you that you take advantage of some of the classes that we're offering around here? Mark and Marilyn Kincaid and um, Brian and Jill Bailey are teaching a class uh, right now uh, called Staying in Love. Uh, it's a video series by Andy, Stan Andy Stanley. It's a four-week series. As a matter of fact, it started today. It's also being offered on Wednesday night here in the Worship Center at 630. Their class is offered in the uh, fireside room just down the hall here. And, and if you missed the first day, that's okay. You, you can jump right in. You don't have to see the first one. They're going to be doing this series through the month of November hoping that as many people as possible will get through it. And this isn't just for those who are getting ready to get married or those who have been recently married. This is good for any married couple, even if you've been married 35, 40, 45, 50 years, because when you're in that mid-stretch, you're in the middle of Kansas, and it can look kind of boring if you're not careful, and sometimes our marriages need a bit of a refresher. Last thing, pack some snacks. What's a trip without some snacks? How can you have fun on a road trip without snacks? And you know what I've learned about vacation snacks? You don't worry if they're healthy. <laughs> you take the good stuff. After all, you're on vacation. This is a party. Let's just eat what we want to eat. You need for this journey of marriage to pack some snacks. Don't stop dating just because you got married. I mean dating each other, not dating somebody else, <laughs> all right? Just because you got married, keep, keep that relationship alive with, with dates. Do fun things. This passage from the quill of the apostle Peter needs to be applied to our marriage. Again, written to the bride of Christ. In 1 Peter 4, 8, it says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Oh, it's so true. When you love each other deeply and you drop the ball, you make a mistake, you, you don't think, you act unkindly, your spouse will be able to forgive because he or she knows that that's not your true character. So, so pack the snacks. Don't forget the flowers and the candy and the little acts of thoughtfulness that are enjoyable, just like snacks on a vacation. And remember that the hurts and the mistakes of marriage can be more easily forgiven when you've also remembered to have fun together. Love each other deeply, laugh deeply with each other. The two go hand in hand. That's what you pack for the long haul, folks. God's map for the marriage journey. Luggage with just the right clothes. Work clothes for the day-to-day -day life. An ice-filled cooler to help bring you back down to the right temperatures when the tempers flare and the anger sets in. An emergency kit for the tough times and the unexpected. And good snacks that will bring joy in your relationship.
I won't, I won't do a wedding anymore for a couple who will not allow me to do this vow. We have, you know, the vows that the groom and the bride exchange back and forth, but this one I ask to repeat in unison. It's called the vow of a Christian home, and this is the way it goes. Depending upon God for our strength and wisdom, we pledge ourselves to establish a Christian home. In doing so, we recognize the Lord Jesus Christ as the head of our home, the ruler of our lives, and the center of our deepest affection. If a couple can't, can't say that, then they don't need me to marry them. That's not just the way to begin a marriage. That's the way you begin your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ.